Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Welcome back to another week of the podcast. I am recording this on May 23rd. It's been hectic around here. Last week was just insane and I'm still tired from it, but the show must go on. So we are in this episode going over part two of Are You Making These Training Mistakes? Before we dive into that, I have a quick announcement. So if you follow me on Instagram, you have seen this, but I am doing a giveaway once we hit 1,000 plays on the podcast, which is really exciting for me. I just started this podcast last year and we're still pretty small, but you know, we're growing and that's really exciting. And I think the interviews are helping a lot, which reminds me next week, I'll be back with another interview with my physical therapist. So make sure you tune in for that next week. But back to the giveaway. Once we hit a thousand plays, I will be giving away your choice of one of my self-directed running programs, which are ready to run or ready to build any of my merch. I have mugs, t-shirts, or crop tops, or a one-hour coaching call. And if you're one of my athletes currently working with me, I will also add in a free month of coaching for you since you probably have coaching calls built into your plan. So how to enter. All you have to do is go to iTunes and leave a review for this podcast. And this helps me so much. It helps others leave a review. You'll be entered to win the giveaway. The rate episodes have been going lately. We will hit a thousand plays either next week or the week after. So early June is likely when I will be putting the final timeline on the giveaway. So get your reviews in before then. I'll likely announce the winner the week of the podcast that comes out on June 8th or June 15th. And I will announce the winner on the podcast so that you don't have to leave any identifying information in your review if you don't want. So I'll just announce the username that is listed and just email me and you can tell me which option you would like to win. So head over, do that now. I will remind you all next week and let you know when we hit a thousand plays. And thank you so much if you've been listening this whole time or if you're new and listening. I appreciate having you here so much. Okay, so let's dive in to part two of the training mistakes that I commonly see and have done myself. So as a recap, last week I went over the first six And as a reminder, these are in no particular order. I couldn't put them in a particular order. So to recap last week, the first mistake I see is not meeting yourself where you are when you start a training plan. Second was feeling like you have to make up missed runs or workouts and cram them into a small time frame. Three was pushing through niggles instead of taking a day or two off early instead of letting that niggle become a full-blown injury that puts you out for an extended period of time. Four, putting too much emphasis on one run or workout. 
five, increasing your activity and not adjusting your food intake. And six, one of my favorites, viewing training through a narrow lens and not taking into account other aspects of your life. Today, I'll be going over the final six that I made in this list. And this list is not exhaustive. There are many other mistakes I could add in here, but I tried to touch on the big ones that I see. Some of the ones today will be specific to ultra marathoners and trail runners, but let's dive in. So number seven, not doing speed workouts for ultra marathons. Speed work is commonly avoided in ultra marathoners because ultra marathons are at a low intensity and don't rely on developing your speed as much. Uh, That's the common thought at least. Let's reiterate that example. For a 50K, you will be doing for speed work farthest away from the 50K would be your more intense intervals, usually VO2 max intervals. So they're short and faster, higher RPE. And then after that block, you would likely go into lactate threshold, which would be your tempo intervals. And those are a little less intense, but you hold them for longer than VO2 max. And then from there, go into steady state and then an endurance block closest to your race because endurance runs or easy runs are most specific to your ultra. And by improving your VO2 max and your lactate threshold, you will also improve your easy runs, which ultimately helps your ultra. So I think David and Megan Roach were the ones who described it in this manner, but they, their analogy for VO2 max, lactate threshold, and easy running were envisioning those three on a string where VO2 max is at the top, followed by lactate threshold underneath, and then easy runs at the bottom. So if you raise your VO2 max, then you're able to raise your lactate threshold, which enables you to raise your easy runs. And so that would be either making your easy runs at a faster pace, but feeling like you're at the same effort level or taking less effort at the same pace you previously ran for your easy runs, both of which help your ultra in the end. Okay, so number eight, this one is specific to my trail runners, training by mileage instead of time. And this isn't a hard and fast rule, but in general, if you're training on trails and especially for an ultra, it can be more advantageous to train by time instead of mileage, mostly because trails are in most situations more stressful than roads. Obviously, this depends on the trails. There are some trails that are very comparable to roads and they're just a softer surface. In general, going by time is better because trail runs and road runs aren't always comparable stress-wise. So for example, if you run 10 miles on the road, you likely roughly know how much time that's going to take and it's not going to vary too much depending on which road you're on unless you go from somewhere super flat to somewhere super hilly. And then that's kind of like going from the road to the trail. But 10 miles on a trail can take up a wide interval of time depending on the trail and what is the surface how technical is it 
how much elevation gain or descent do you have? And 10 miles on the trail can take as much time as on the road or up to double or triple as much time as on the road. And spending more time on feet makes these runs no longer comparable. And by going by mileage on trail runs, you're likely increasing your training load and stress without meaning to, which then affects the rest of your training. And on shorter runs, this doesn't matter as much, but the longer the run, the bigger that gap between time on feet on the road versus time on feet on the trail can be. So something to keep in mind if you're training on trails and still going by miles. Maybe try going by time instead. Number nine, something we've all heard a million times, so I'm not going to beat this dead horse too much, but running your easy runs too fast. And I feel like I've heard it a lot more in the past year or two, but easy runs are supposed to work on your aerobic capacity, your aerobic base, and they should be at a pace you can hold for hours. So when you finish an easy run, you shouldn't feel super exhausted and like you couldn't have kept going had you wanted to. And when you run these runs too hard, you're likely shifting the primary focus of your run from developing your aerobic base, which is working on your body's ability to, or your body's efficiency at using oxygen versus once you creep up towards lactate threshold, then you're shifting on improving your body's ability to produce and utilize lactate, which is just a different focus and more stressful than the alternative. And with anything about runs at any point, you're working on all focuses. So like once you move up to lactate threshold, you're still working on your body's efficiency at using oxygen. It's just not the primary focus anymore. And if you do this too much and you're running too hard too often, you just increase your likelihood of becoming burnt out from that too much intensity. And also I found that a lot of us who do that, we just end up hating running because it hurts every time you go out. And if you run your easy runs easy enough, then in theory, you should hate running a little less if you've gotten to that point. And it just should feel a little more sustainable and more enjoyable and less taxing on your body every time. So that's all I'll say about that for now. Number 10, this one has also been brought up a lot recently, which honestly is very, very refreshing to me. Not having any rest days. I don't remember which episode. I think it was in season one, but I told a story about when I was running in college. I never took a rest day. I think the only time I took rest days was for a week when I got my wisdom teeth out. And that was because I got dry sockets and was literally in pain for an entire week and couldn't move off the couch. But that's the only time during my cross-country career that I took rest days. I would run an easy two miles on our rest days, even during our competition season. It was probably not the greatest. Uh, I somehow got through it. I think because the year I started cross country was my first year of competitive running. So I was really new to the sport and 
my body hadn't been beaten down yet versus some of my teammates who had been running since, you know, freshman year of high school. They had four, five, six years (laughs) under their belt of running versus me. I had one year of training for half marathons and that's it. But rest days are so important and rest is when we actually recover and adapt to our training. So without rest days, we are less likely to progress because we might not be adapting to our training and we might just be adding on more stress and breaking our bodies down. I want to say everyone who works with me has at least one rest day a week, but I do have a run streaker. I love her. I don't love run streaks, but we've talked about it a lot and I think I've mentioned it on here. I know her reasons for doing it, so I support it. But in general, if you can have at least one rest day a week or one rest day every week and a half, please do so. It'll help you out so much. And one more thing about rest days, you can have more than one in a week. I know a lot of us feel like we need to be doing something at all times, but you might just be one of those people that benefits from having more than one rest day. Because I know one of my other athletes, we have her having two rest days a week because the other five days of training for her with her work and all of the sports that she does, they're pretty freaking intense. So those two rest days are super helpful for her. Okay, number 11. I got to live this one in real time this weekend when Colorado got a snowstorm on Friday after a almost 90 degree day on Thursday, but number 11 is skipping your runs due to inclement weather or less than ideal conditions. And less than ideal conditions doesn't only pertain to weather. It can also include less than ideal conditions around like fueling or gear or time of day, many different factors. A lot of us like to wait until the quote-unquote perfect time to run and for me it's usually the morning especially during the summer but going when it's not ideal so like in the summer going midday when it's at the hottest point that can be helpful. I find that running in less than ideal conditions is a great way to build mental strength, which I talked about with Lucy on an episode, two episodes ago. And it can also help you have the confidence to overcome adversity on race day. Because as a lot of us know, things probably aren't going to go perfect at your race. And if you have experienced something not going perfect in your training and problem solved and overcome it, then you know you can do it again on race day. And you'll still get through it and you can still excel even when things aren't going perfectly. So this past weekend, I was thinking about this a lot because I really didn't want to run in the cold and snow. Normally I love it, but Friday I was just like, I do not want to go. But I made myself go after work in the afternoon. I was really tired and it ended up being a pretty good run. Fridays are my really short recovery run days. So It wasn't anything intense at all, but just trying to go out when you don't want to can be super helpful. And obviously with this, please be safe. Don't go out in dangerous conditions or 
anything like that. So be smart about it. Be careful. But within reason, force yourself to go on runs when it's not the perfect time, whether it's middle of winter, middle of summer, or you just ate a big meal, but you still have to fit your run in, anything like that. The final training mistake that I see and have done myself And you have heard me talk about it in the past couple months if you follow me on Instagram or TikTok. But putting too much emphasis on hard data. And by hard data, I mean any singular data point like heart rate, pace, cadence. Those are the big three that I see and that I've also been obsessed with myself. But my biggest issue with focusing on one of these three is that commonly Runners hyperfixate on one of these and then base their satisfaction with their training based on this one number. So, for example, with heart rate, let's say you go out for an easy run, you come back, your average heart rate is higher than you think it should be for an easy run. So then in your mind, you're like, wow, that run sucked. I'm a failure. I suck. Or if you look at your heart rate on the run, you're like, wow, this is a lot higher than it should be then that thought process happens during your run, which ultimately doesn't help your run. Some of you might be okay with it, but personally, and I know a lot of other runners like this, if I'm on a run and I see my heart rate number or my cadence or my pace and start assigning value to that number in the terms of this one's good, this one's bad, then if the the value is in the bad category, it just stresses me out more on my run and takes away from what the run should be and just makes it more stressful, which is counterproductive, as we have talked about before. And this isn't to say that I don't like data. Guys, I'm a data scientist. I love data. Data is great. It's amazing. I love it. But it can't be everything that you use when there's also a lot of subjective metrics that tell you how your training is going. So in my opinion, the best way to use hard data, such as heart rate, pace, or cadence, is to use it in conjunction with more subjective metrics, like your rate of perceived effort, how you're recovering, your energy and motivation levels, anything that you can't capture with just one number. And I think if you look at it more holistically, then you can start to make connections like, oh, I was really tired this day, my easy run, my heart rate was higher, maybe it's because I was really tired, or maybe it's because it's 20 degrees warmer than I've been running in, you know, anything like that. I think a lot of training should be looked at more holistically in a big picture sense then I feel like we do, and I think we're moving that way. I've seen a lot of coaches emphasize the different areas that are important for training that aren't just literally how your one run went. But if you're coaching yourself, keep this in mind and try to give yourself some leniency when you are looking at hard data. And yeah, looking at trends over time can be really helpful instead of just looking at hard data on one run or day to day because there are a lot of fluctuations daily. You can tell this just by, you know, how you feel 
on a daily basis. So those are the final six. To reiterate, number seven was not doing speed workouts for ultramarathon training. Number eight was training by mileage instead of time if you are training on trails. That was number eight. Did I say number nine? I don't know. Anyway, number nine, running your easy runs too fast. Number 10, not having any rest days. Number 11, skipping your runs due to inclement weather or less than ideal conditions. And number 12, putting too much emphasis on hard data. So that is the list of 12 that I came up with. Like I said, it's not exhaustive. We can probably add a lot more to this, but those are the biggest ones in my mind. And I hope this helps you. I hope this helps you with your training. I hope it helps you enjoy your running more and just build a more sustainable plan for yourself because I want you to be running for a long time. If you want to be running for a long time, that is. If you don't, then that's totally cool too. You do you. And with that, I will talk to you all next week in my interview with Sarah, my physical therapist. And don't forget to leave the review so you can enter into the giveaway that will likely be happening the second week of June. Check back next week for an update on how many plays we are at and where we are in the giveaway. Have a beautiful week. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them. It helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message. And if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Coaching Klutz. You can also find me at my website, coachingklutz.com, if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs. And I will talk to you all next time.